your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who goes this town tonight. Hey, welcome to Call Me Lester Sports Stop. Talk. VoiceAmerica.com, Alex Clancy in studio. A lot to talk about today. Uh, first, I wanted to give a shout-out to voiceamerica.com. 13% increase in traffic over the first quarter of the 2014 year. Uh, really, really good stuff going on here at Voice America. We've jumped up a bunch in social media as well, which is it's really uh, exciting. And uh, onwards and upwards for Voice America. Um, lots to talk about today. NBA, I'll cover the games that happened last night. Preview the Masters that... Uh, is underway as we speak. First round, Augusta National. Best golf tournament every year. Uh, even without Tiger Woods playing this year, the first Masters he's ever missed. There's uh, many, many storylines that I'll get into a little later. I'll talk Thunder's Clippers game last night. Talk the Suns squeaking how to win against the shorthanded Pelicans. If you can hear that, that's a large sigh of relief for the greater Phoenix area because if the Suns would have lost the Pelicans, that would have been catastrophic for their playoff chances and for their year as a whole. And I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. I do first want to talk about Frank Vogel, the coach of the Indiana Pacers, sitting his starting five against the lowly Milwaukee Bucks last night. They won 104-102, Pacers did. Uh, Last second, uh, leaner by uh, Chris Copeland, one of their bench players, University of Colorado Buffalo product. little shout-out to the Buffs. Was this a good idea for him to sit everybody? Now, I understand that they've they've had issues with their team as a whole, with uh, the cohesive unit that they had been early on and through the All-Star break kind of waning a little bit. It kind of shows the lack of leadership, in my opinion. And Frank Vogel wanted to instill his leadership qualities as the head coach by sitting all these guys. And he said it was for to rest them. I'm not sure if that is exactly what his thought process was. Let me just say first off that I highly disagree with this. Or across the NBA, he was kind of looked at it as a nice strategic. Uh, act to sit his starting five, his five best players. I'm not really sure why people think that. Especially when the whole thing all year was, we have to get that number one seed. We have to get that number one seed. So if and when we play the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, we have that seventh game at home if it goes the distance. So you're a half game out of the number one seed, yet you sit all of your guys with four games remaining. I understand it was against the Bucks. I understand that they're the worst team in basketball, top to bottom. 
but you don't flirt with danger like this in crunch time. You don't flirt with the chance of losing just to prove a point or to, quote, rest your players. These are grown men that need to find their tight-knit nature again, and I don't think sitting them on the bench was the best way to do it. Again, they won 104-102. They were losing late in this game. It went backwards and for- back and forth in-, in the last two minutes, and they ended up coming out with a victory. What if they would have lost? What if they would have lost and they wouldn't have got that number one overall seed due to in part by a loss to the Bucks? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, maybe if this was ten or fifteen games previously earlier, and you sit your guys against the Bucks, that's fine. I'm okay with that. That's Popovichian, I guess you could say. I just can't really comprehend it. And again, they got lucky. They wanted the buzzer, and that's great. So I mean, in the playoffs, nobody's gonna even remember this. But they would have remembered if they lost. That is for sure. They now hold a half-game lead on Miami. Same number in the loss column. But with the Grizzlies beating Miami last night, 107-102, they got away with it, and it actually worked out really well in their favor. The Pacers, that is. LeBron had 37, but the Grizzlies give the Heat all kinds of matchup issues. Zach Randolph, Marcus All down low. That is the Achilles heel of the Miami Heat, if there is any. And I'm taking injuries away from their Achilles heel because they've been marred with injuries all year, primarily to Dwayne Wade. But, I mean, even the role players have had injuries. And without their role players, Miami Heat is just another good team, above-average team with the best player in the game, in my opinion. Kevin Durant is looked at as the MVP favorite this year. That's fine. I mean, even Michael Jordan didn't win every MVP when he played. But Kevin Durant has made a very good case this year, and I understand that Russell Westbrook was out for many games this year, many, many games, which catapulted Kevin Durant into the spotlight with regards to having to score more, having to do more for his team to, to get victories. And he's done that. So I, I think that if he won the MVP, I don't think anybody would disagree. I just truly believe that LeBron James is the best player in basketball. He's asked to do so many more things every night than Kevin Durant is. And what I mean by that is if his team's having an off-shooting night, he can become a scorer. If his team is hot from the field, he can just be a facilitator and rebounder and play defense. They couldn't be two more different players. And I'm going to segue into this conversation really briefly, if you hadn't noticed. Kevin Durant's more of a perimeter guy. He's lanky. He can get to the basket, but he can't take the contact and finish like LeBron can. He can't play defense like LeBron does. 
On the other side, LeBron definitely can't shoot as well as Kevin Durant. He's not as good of a scorer as Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant has many different ways of scoring the basketball. He's a knockout three-point shooter. He's shooting over 40%. I think he's shooting 41% from the field this year, averaging 31 points a game, which is more or less unheard of. I think Jordan did it one year. He averaged 32 and and, uh, shot 42-43% from the three-point line. But Jordan took a lot less threes than Kevin Durant does now. Kevin Durant shoots 90% from the line. He's got a better touch around the basket. And he's had to learn that craft through, you know, all the way through his basketball career because he's not big enough to bang with the big boys down low and, you know, up fake and, and throw one down over a center. That's just, not, that's just not in his repertoire, which is fine. It's just different. But if he wins MVP this year, I mean, I'll be happy for him. I'll be happy for him. Another hit to the Pacific Northwest. Portland Trailblazers draft Greg Oden over Kevin Durant due to necessity, due to the the old saying, big men don't come around very often, so you take your chance on them. Well, that didn't work out very well for them. Sam Bowie all over again. Not to say that Kevin Durant is Michael Jordan, but... He's closer to Michael Jordan than he is to Sam than he is to Greg Oden. So the Miami Heat fall a half game behind Indiana. Huge game tomorrow night. Pacers Miami. And we'll really see what Indiana's made of. There are certain teams that have had Miami's number throughout the regular season this year, the Knicks being one of them. Indiana always plays Miami tight. I think this game means way more to Indiana than it does to Miami, and I think that's that's a pretty standard stance on that. Miami doesn't need to prove anything. Miami has taken care of business against Indiana the past three years. What I think this game will tell is how a couple things. One, how much of a leader Paul George is. Because we haven't heard his name in weeks. He's had a quote-unquote down year, comparatively speaking, to last year. And the, the upsides were through the roof for him. MVP candidate, blah, 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 blah. That's why they play the games. He's, under, he's been underwhelming to me this year. They still don't have a leader on that team. And that's the thing that I'm going to be watching most for tomorrow night when they play Miami. Will Paul George supplant himself as the leader of the Indiana Pacers? Can Roy Hibbert bounce back from his five-minute performance a couple games ago when he got benched due to being quote-unquote tired or you know whatever Vogel wanted to say to make it look better than it was? Can Lance Stevenson show his stripes when when they need it? Anybody can win games in November, December, January.
if Indiana wants to make it out of the East, they have to show what they have tomorrow night. Personally, I still think they're missing something. They're missing a piece. They're missing a point guard. With point guards at a premium in the NBA nowadays, I'd say there's maybe 10 true point guards in the NBA. Many of them are the leading scorers on their team, and I've talked about that ad nauseum, so I won't get into it again. You need somebody to run the point. Paul, uh, George Hill is not a point guard. He's a poor man's Russell Westbrook. He's a guy that played combo guard in, in college and was asked to play point guard in the NBA. And George Hill, when he was with San Antonio, didn't have to play point guard. I mean, he played a little backup to Tony Parker, but he got to play in his comfortable position of the, the combo guard or the shooting guard. When you have the keys to the castle as a point guard of an NBA championship contender, you have to adapt. You have to learn how to play the position. Handle the ball. Don't turn the ball over. Get everybody involved. And he's still fairly young. I mean, he, he's, he's a veteran in, in, in the NBA nowadays. Uh, uh, stencil, I guess you could say. But that's the main thing that's lacking with the Indiana Pacers. Is a point guard. We got to take a break. On the other side, I'll talk Phoenix Suns, preview the Masters, and we'll get into a little NFL later on as well. Alex Clancy, Quantum Master Sports Talk, VoiceAmerica.com. I'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Arms. 
Welcome back. Cormier Lasseter Sports Talk, 888-346-9144, voiceamerica.com. Talking NBA. Let's get right into the Phoenix Suns. 94-88 win over the Pelicans last night. Pelicans were playing NBDL players seemingly last night because they sat uh, Anthony Davis, uh, back spasms. Ryan Anderson's been out all year. Drew Holiday's been out all year seemingly. Squeak out a victory, 94-88. Gerald Green leading scorer with 21. Goran Dragic dropped nine dimes. Um, woo! It was close. It was close going right down to the wire. Eric Bledsoe turns the ball over with about a minute and a half left, two minutes left, rushes down, intercepts a pass, comes down, hits a jumper. Markeith Moritz hits a jumper on the next possession, take the lead for the rest of the game. This shows a lot about the Phoenix Suns team, and it's positive. Again, nobody's going to remember how much they beat them by as long as they got the W. Especially in this high-stress, spotlit situation that is the, the fight for the 7th, 8th, and ninth seed, 7th and 8th seed in the Western Conference. This was a big win. The, these games, more times than not, are usually hiccup games. Hiccup games for teams trying to, trying to get in the playoffs. Especially a team like the Phoenix Suns where nobody expected them to be here. But now the expectations are high. Pulling out a win like this for a young team is huge. This meant more than them beating the Pelicans by 30, in my opinion. Any close game that you compete in and win is huge. For confidence, for camaraderie among teammates, for instilling trust in your coach, strengthening that trust, it's huge. So they're a game, they're a game ahead of the, uh, of the Grizzlies for the eight seed still. Half game behind Dallas for the seven seed. And this is where the tough, tough part begins. At San Antonio, at Dallas, Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. This is going to show a lot about the Phoenix Suns in the next 72 hours. Preparation execution, and then playing a back-to-back this late in the season with this much riding on it will show how much they have in their tank, how much confidence they have in themselves, and how good they really are. They have a great record. Nobody expected this to happen. But going through that Texas swing... They don't have to play Houston, so it's not a full one. At San Antonio, at Dallas, Friday, Saturday, is going to be huge. And then Monday night, the last home game of the year for the Suns, Memphis comes into town. This schedule couldn't have worked out more perfectly for the NBA because everybody that is competing for a playoff spot in the West are all playing each other in the last week of the season, week and a half of the season. It's going to be fantastic. Gerald Green, once again. Oh, Kwame, you there? I'm here. All right. Um, what do you think the Suns need to do on Friday and Saturday when they go to San Antonio and then back-to-back to, back 
to Dallas to get at least one victory out of the two? I think they need to play uh, Phoenix Suns ball when they play at their best. I think they need to get the mindset of when they play against those better teams, those teams that come into uh, their arenas like the Indiana Pacers when they beat that. I don't like to go back in the past, but sometimes that past can help them get over the hump, especially one that's huge as this coming up to even get into the playoffs for that seed or eight to seven seed position. They need to go into the mindset that this is, this game is everything. We can't start slow. Uh, we have to start fast. We have to finish strong. So I think that's more the mindset that the Stars need to be in. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I agree. And and I, I've been writing Gordon Dragic all year about becoming a leader. And, yes, you have. And I, I think that he's not – I don't think he's there yet, but I think that it's changed a little bit with Eric Bledsoe coming back. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the year because Eric Bledsoe is a restricted free agent. So if Goran Dragic, you know, it, like say they make the playoffs and Goran Dragic is the vocal leader of this team and the leader on the court, I, I, he must be as well, is Eric Bledsoe going to shy away from coming back here knowing that he may not be the man – starting next year. So, I mean, there's more than one storyline when it comes to Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe. Is Phoenix big enough for both of them? So I'm not sure if that's why Goran Dragic might have backed off a little bit, like let Eric Bledsoe take the lead, but I think Goran Dragic is the closest thing to a veteran that the Suns have. He's been in the playoffs. He's played for a couple teams where he's been the starting point guard. He went. He was under the tutelage of Steve Nash. So, do you think that Goran Dragic needs to supplant himself as the leader, or do you think that he can share it with Eric Bledsoe and do it like a dual captain leadership sort of situation? Dual captain leadership is great if it works, but I think Dragic needs to take his uh, place as the leader of that team. Uh, you mentioned a lot of things he does about being on other teams, being under other guys who have had the leadership role. I think it's time for him to really step up and say, "This is my team, and you follow me or get traded." As harsh as that sounds, that that happens on major league teams. Uh, but he needs to take the role as a leader. These guys need to follow. Uh, when you have a great team, you have leadership on different levels. You have vocal, vocal leaders. You have those that show by action. But they always get it done. And then you have a, a lot of key role players. We talked all year about sons and their direction and they go as far as the leadership. And I've always said it was one great player away. I think they can get that player in here because Suns not a bad team. They just don't know who's guiding them, who's directing them. And I can't say Jeff Hornacek is at fault at this because he put them in a position where you're going to have some growth within a year with the basketball season, 82, bas- 82 games of basketball. You have to develop your growth and find out who we are as a team. And them guys have to do that in the locker room and, in, and on the basketball court. At some point, coaching takes over in the playoffs. Uh, but in, in this situation, Rodgers, as we mentioned, needs to establish himself. This is my team. Let's go. I'm, I'm going to give you everything I got. I'm not taking games off, not taking minutes off. Coach, put me in if you need me. This is my team. Let's go at it. And everybody else falling suit. I think Blesco is a huge part of the direction they, that they want to go. So I think they found a way to sign this guy and then bring in somebody else with that other veteran leadership. They got a, young, they got a lot of young veterans, but they need that, that guy, that superstar guy with some veteran leadership. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Ryan McDonough was the assistant GM in Boston when, when that big three of Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce was put together. So he knows the makeup of how to make that happen. He knows the blueprint of how to make that happen. So I know that Bledsoe might get he might get offered more money somewhere else. You know, and that and, and that's the scary part. 
because if because Goran Dragic has one year left on his deal, he's going to want money too. I just can't believe that you'd let this guy go again. If you want an heir apparent to Steve Nash, you have him. He's here. So take care of your own. And I know this wasn't Ryan McDonough's guy. I know this wasn't Jeff Hornacek's guy because these are both new uh, GM and head coach respectively. I just think yeah. that you need you need to re-sign Goran Dragic. And I, it'd be really good if they kept Eric Bledsoe because he's young, he's crazy athletic, and he obviously has a high basketball acumen because he just came off the injured list and just played as if he wasn't. It played as if he was playing all year, and they play well together, which I think is huge as well because building a camaraderie this fast is huge. It's huge in the NBA. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head about letting Garage go. Do not let this guy go somewhere else. It's kind of when you when you was talking, it kind of reminded me of what the the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, our home team did to Carlos Dancy. Carlos came back and he played well. He played lights out. But I thought they should have never let him go. Now I'm on, I'm not in the business side of the things, but I know what I see. And I haven't played in that uh, that type of atmosphere. Carlos Dancy is the guy you do not let go when you play at a high level. Then he has to go to Miami, comes back, and plays again for the Cardinals and put these guys in a position to even get in the playoffs the way he played on defense, the way he orchestrated that defense with a lot of other good talent around him. And then we let him go again to some Cincinnati team or wherever he went. Cleveland. But, uh, Cleveland. But the Suns, Suns have to do the same thing, or, or not do the same thing, I should say, and keep in drivers and, and, and let him establish a home base this is your team. You don't have to worry about leaving anywhere. You are here for the next eight years, if that's possible in, in a professional sport. We sign you for the next eight years. We are going to do the right things as, as an organization and put people around you. We have to find a way to keep Blesso as an organization so you guys can gel together. And now we've got to find key role players, which we thought we have on the team, but from the outside looking in and being a fan of this, uh, and rooting for the stars, I think they're one player away. Now, uh, yeah. Horn State's done a great job, as I continue to mention. So he would know more than I uh, who to bring in and what gels with that team that they have in place right now. But they have to be the, they have to be the stars. They have the mindset that beat all these teams that most of us thought was going to be a tough battle. And, and they went in there and played those teams and blew these teams away about 15, 20 points. So these last few games, they have to be the mindset when they go in. No, absolutely. It just it's going to be. It's going to be kind of a scary moment if somebody offers Eric Bledsoe $80 million over five years. Like, if they, if they offer him Mac Daddy money, as I, as I call it, I, that's going to be – it's going to be scary because if when push comes to shove, it is a business, as, as you continue to remind me, and I've, and I've learned a little bit more about the business sides of it. You have Gordon Dragic, who, again, is your leader, in my opinion, the guy that – the guy that's the only real Phoenix Sun on this team. I guess you can say Channing Fry too. Um, what do you do then? Because if you got if you pay Eric Bledsoe eighty, you're gonna have to pay Goran Dragic sixty, and that's your salary. That's your salary cap. So I know Ryan McDonough again. He's he learned under the tutelage of Danny Ainge, who's become one of the best GMs in basketball. And he'll if he if there is a way, he'll find the way. I just don't know what's going to happen, and if they make the playoffs this year, I think it'll it'll make Eric Bledsoe more inclined to stay. But if they don't make the playoffs, he he was a rented player in, in that in that situation. If he chooses to leave, and he's going to get a lot more money, he he can get a lot more money somewhere else. Unfortunately, and, that's what. It, unfortunately, 
he hit the nail on the head. That's what it, that's what it would be. He would become a rented player, but that would be too bad because I don't think he played enough games in the, in the Phoenix Star uniform. Uh, but the direction they have to go is how they want to build their team. What are they building their team around? The back court or the front court? Who who fits well on that team where everybody plays at a high level? That's what Hornacek and the rest of his coaching staff is going to have to decide uh, where they spend their money because we have to keep. And it'll be to be. And it'll be a sad day, somewhat, if Bledsoe leaves for the money. But, again, that's the business of it. Uh, and that, what, what can you say to the guy when he leaves for it's the business part of it as he's dealt with it on both sides? Right. How Hornacek and how Jeff Hornacek and the rest of that coaching staff and that organization, which way did they, are they deciding to build this year? You want to build through the front court or the back court? Uh, and that's going to be an easy, that'd be an easy decision because – yeah, I know where we jail as a team and how we jail as a team. So it's easy to get those kind of players in here. Now, because so the Stars can play, they can pay free agents now to come to this team. But the right free agents is what's going to make the difference. And that's 100% correct. 888-346-9144. Call me last letter, sports talk, voiceamerica.com. We'll be back in a couple. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Welcome back. Call me last Sports Talk, 888-346-9144. Follow me on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. At Kwame Lasseter. For Kwame, we've been talking NBA. Quick update on the Masters. Miguel Angel Jimenez, three under through eight, is leading the field. Kevin Stadler, two under. Freddie Couples always seems to be there on day one. Two under through ten. Steve Stricker, two under. 
Bill Haas, Brant Snedeker, Adam Scott, Rory McIlroy, all two under through six and eight holes, respectfully. Um, I, I hope and that... That's funny. Go ahead. That's funny. That's funny you say uh, Freddie Couples always there on day one. And they are, it's kind of like a day out with the boys, having a day out with golf. And it don't get serious to these guys. These guys start disappearing when it gets serious, when it's time, Saturday and Sunday, when it's Monday time. But Freddie Couples, as you mentioned, he's always right there. Cabrero, you know, he came in, he was a playoff last year with Adam Scott. So he's, he's always going to make somehow, some way. But the guy has, he has game. I watched him play a lot out here, the, uh, waste, not the waste management, but the uh, eccentric match play in Tucson. Yeah, I mean, Fred Couples, if he didn't have back problems, He'd have so many more majors, in my opinion. He's still got, in my opinion, the sweetest stroke that I've ever seen. The most effortless, just, oh, the pendulum, I just can't. I, that's and, I, and I've said this before, that f- my dad had me watch Freddie Couples when I was younger, and that's when I fell in love with golf. He was just smiling. He's very Arnold Palmer-ish when he's, when he's going up and down the golf course, you know, always saying hi to fans and everything, and he just truly loves the game. And... um I hope that he can just break. Th- I think he was he was either leading or at a tie for the lead after day one of of last year, uh, well, and, and midway through midway through day two. Yeah, I mean, you, there's nothing really bad you can say about him. Yeah, he became one of my favorites. Uh, you know, how you talk about guys liking it. Everyone put so much uh, emphasis on Tiger Woods this, Tiger Woods that, rightfully so. But Freddie Couples became one of my favorites just because his smoothness, his charismatic way, the way he talked to people up and down the. Uh, the fairways, uh, and go across the business as a gentleman. Uh, and I really, I was, a, I was a big fan. I became a big fan, but I don't know if you've seen his Hall of Fame speech when that guy, man, he was like a little kid, and it just burst out, and he's just trying to hold in his tears and his cries and the outbursts. Uh, but that, that right there is an emotional part, uh, the human being part that a lot of us don't get to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so to finish up our NBA talk, Spurs and Mavericks play tonight in Dallas. So this is going to be, this is a huge game for uh, for the Suns and for the Mavericks. Obviously, I believe Tony Parker. This is the second game that he'll be sitting out. The great Popovich oh, said wow. a few days ago that he was going to sit him out a couple games. Kind of wish he'd sit him out three games so the Suns don't have to see him. But this is a big game for the Mavericks, and uh, this is still a big game for the Spurs because the Spurs haven't locked out the number one seed yet. It's pretty much a dormy situation if we're talking about golf, but. Right. Uh, but it's uh, the Spurs haven't locked it out, so it's a big game for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I I, um, I think Popovich is more of a strategist than anything. He's sitting Parker out for a reason. Parker, if he, want, if he wanted to play, he could play. But, you know, you're talking about teams he's playing in the same conference, whereas you want to have to face these guys again. Let me get my guy some rest, my all-star, who's been playing at a high level all year. So let me get this guy some rest uh, and then see what we can do against him. I don't really think it matters with the San Antonio Spurs, that's a machine in itself. So these guys should be able to pull it out in Dallas. I don't know if Dallas have enough uh, to just blow them away. Spurs will be in the game. Uh, hopefully they pull it off for the Suns' sake. Sounds like that GPS is working. Uh, Oklahoma City Clippers last night. I watched uh, the majority of this game. I watched the last three quarters of this game. Thunder win 107-101. It was a very exciting game for me to watch because I think that the Clippers, you can see two different Clippers teams in the game last night. Shooting lights out, first three quarters. Uh, Blake Griffin was eight for nine from the line. 
uh, going into the fourth quarter. They're down two with two minutes left. He bricks two free throws. Chris Paul, they're down four, goes to the line, makes one of two. It's When Kevin Durant shoots nine for 26 from the field and you lose, there's something going on. And you can tell the whole Lob City and all those all that stuff is great. But when it comes down to it and you really, truly have to play basketball, half-court basketball, the Clippers, in my opinion, aren't any better than any team that's going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I just think that there's something that's disconnected between when they're confident and when they're running and gunning and throwing lobs and everything in that regard, and when they have to really break down and play real basketball. Oh, pardon me, real basketball. Something's amiss, and this that's what all playoff basketball is, is the last five minutes of a regular season game. That's the pressure that's put on these teams, and I, I don't know if they can get out of the first round again. I don't see, especially with all the firepower that they have, it's and I know Jamal Crawford's out, and they were talking about that on the uh, on the uh, broadcast last night. Jamal Crawford's out, so they don't have. If you don't have Chris, if Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, JJ Redick, Big Baby Davis, and Darren Collison can't win for you, then you can't put a guy that comes has come off the bench his whole career in the forefront and say, "Well, that's the reason why we lost." That's ridiculous to me. I mean, well, you know, some guys, some guys come off the bench and they play at a high level. When when they become starters, we ask, we ask ourselves. Where, where are you? Where's that guy that's just off the bench and shoot lights out? But sometimes, you know, you have role players, and role players are comfortable in that role where there's no... To me, I, I think it's no pressure. I'm coming off the bench. The game should be where it is. I'm coming off the bench to do my job. Even get a lead, put some points on it, have a stronger bench in uh, situations uh, that the Clippers should have. But you, you're right. When, when you go 9 for 26 and you are going to be the MVP and you and the Clippers who running gun the most, and they lose that game still, that's going to be a problem. I always thought there was too many egos on that Clippers basketball team uh, because that's where most of the bickering came from, or the egos, or who's in charge, or whose team it is. Uh, Blake, Griffin, Blake Griffin being there, Paul uh, Paul coming in there, uh, Paul coming there afterwards and establishing that he's the leader of their team because he's running the point. I think the egos sometimes get in the way with teams like that, and then it discombobulates them. No, I mean that's uh, yeah, that's correct. I mean, I just don't. I I wish I could argue with you more, but I feel like we're both on the same page with the majority of things we talked about today. Um, now, coming moving forward for the Clippers, I think that Doc Rivers really needs to pull these guys together. I mean, you could pretty much that that's one of the easiest coaching jobs in the NBA. You just yeah, kind of let Chris Paul Chris Paul lead the team on the court. Blake Griffin do what he does. DeAndre Jordan plays good defense, can block shots. Uh, he can dunk anything, finish anything around the basket. Uh, but I, on the other side of what I just said, Jamal Crawford's huge in the situations of the fourth quarter and and close games and things like that. Because in my opinion, him and Jason Terry are one in one a the last 10 years, at least in fourth quarter scoring, they're always one in two in fourth quarter averages scoring wise uh, for the course of a year. So that's why he's really important to them because when somebody can't make a big shot, he's just unconscious. He shoots the ball in the fourth quarter. Like he does in the first with reckless abandon. And Darren Collison had 12 points, I believe, 10 or 12 points in the fourth quarter last night. So he's kind of jumped into that role that Jamal Crawford has vacated when he's been hurt. But I think that in that regard, especially in the playoffs, he's battle-tested throughout the playoffs, and I think he'll he'll definitely be 
a huge piece for them, especially in the fourth quarter. So if he gets, if he can come back from injury, it'll definitely jump them up a little bit, especially with clutch time scoring. You said a lot in that uh, last comment, but uh, I think the key thing that you hit on was the coach need to pull them together. Eagles aside, we're in the playoffs now. Uh, you mentioned last week that they still can move up a spot, and that'll change the dynamics of that uh, conference or, or who plays whom. I think the coach needs to uh, come in. I don't know what they're doing on the side, but he needs to come in and say, all right, Eagles aside, we need to play for all. Everybody has a role on that team, and they know it, but everybody wants to be the superstar. And I don't have a problem with wanting to be a superstar at all, not even in the league. But if you come together as a team to win that big prize, you're going to be a superstar. There's more superstars on winning teams, uh, and there's more selfish players on teams that don't understand that coming together with all this talent we have and all the talent we mentioned, and, and even in the absence of Falkirk, uh, we, can, we, can we can win this thing. Uh, they got to get just a chance to everybody else with the chemistry that they have, with the coaching they have. I think they have some of the better coaches out there in the league right now. But when your egos and your superstar status get in the way, no, absolutely. And and Chris Paul, I talked about this yesterday a little bit, that Chris Paul needs to maintain his if for them to succeed in the playoffs, you're right. Doc Rivers and as I said before, he needs to take take the leadership role of this team in the in the huddle. Because I feel like that the players, a lot of times players will run the timeouts. Doc Rivers, the coach will say something and the players will kind of work it out themselves. Doc Rivers has been here before. He resurrected his coaching career because he got lucky enough to have the big three uh, of you know Allen, Pierce, and, and Garnett go to the Clippers. So now he's relevant again, and that's what got him this job. So he needs to find a way to get the Clippers out of the first round of the playoffs, or questions will, will already start to arise of if he's a good fit in L.A. And they he, that that's just the case. That's what that's what will happen, in my opinion. Chris Paul you know, needs to remember that he is a point guard. He is not a scoring point guard. He never really has been. I mean, eighteen points a game. I don't consider a scoring point guard, especially with a twenty four with a twenty four twenty five point a game. Things Westbrook, Derrick Rose, Darren Williams, guys guys under that umbrella. I I don't have Chris Paul in that because Chris Paul still averages ten or eleven assists a game. He needs to remember the stencil that got him to the playoffs and maintain those numbers and not trying to take over a game when he doesn't believe that he can trust his his uh, his teammates to succeed in a playoff atmosphere. I just think that he I, needs to stay the same. I think my point guard, if my point guard giving me 18 points and a and 11 to 10, 10 or more assists, shoot, that's a scoring point guard in my opinion, but I think he could do a lot more uh, as far as the points to the assist ratio definitely, but in my, in my opinion, it's he seems to take over the game when he feels like he needs to take over the game. I think he forgets that he got a lot of talent and other players around him, uh, and he takes it over a bit too soon. Right. But I, I think um, that's a scoring point guard. A scoring point guard to me is that's that's whole fifteen points, and uh, you have about that many assists. That's putting points on the board in two different ways. And then, uh, not to mention his steals. I know he's in the top as far as steal category is concerned. That's changing the game. I, I, I agree with you. And I go and I always go back to Allen Iverson when he came in. He say, "You didn't pay me at all to pass the ball. You brought me in here to shoot." So I understand what you say when you when you say it. But a guy like Chris Paul can do more for me as far as the fifteen points and the fifteen assists, and then understand what he has around him. Right. Got to take a break. On the other side, uh, we're going to talk the Pro Bowl coming to Phoenix, Arizona, and why I think. 
that the game should be held after the Super Bowl once again and not before. Kwame Lasseter, Sports Talk. We'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Arms. Oh, welcome back, Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Kwame's got a little static. Eight 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 three four six nine one four four. Final segment, basketball heavy show today. I do want to switch gears to the NFL Pro Bowl coming to. University of Phoenix Stadium, Phoenix, Arizona, Glendale, Arizona, 2015. It's good. It's going to be good for the city of Glendale, and uh, I guess we'll see how they handle the Super Bowl and and lodging is, is one is one of the main things. I'm not sure how they're gonna how they're gonna be able to deal with all of all of the influx of people that are coming in here when there's like two hotels in Glendale. I'm not exactly sure, um, but I do want to focus mainly on why I think that the Pro Bowl should be held after the Super Bowl once again. Two main points. One, the obvious one, that all of the Super Bowl um, participants can participate in the Pro Bowl. I think that's good for the fans. You can see the top-tier athletes that just came off a Super Bowl win, Super Bowl loss, great plays, everything in that regard. Number two, I believe that the Pro Bowl is starting to become a real game. A testament to last year, when people were hitting, the defense was... <laughs> defensive guys were, were running after the quarterback. They, they, they wasn't a flag football game like it was the year previous. So I think that if it can turn into a real football game, and I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but a real football game would yield more people to watch it because you want to see J.J. Watt take down Peyton Manning. You want to see you know Adrian Peterson run over a Carlos Dansby or you know uh, uh, Patrick Willis. You want to see that stuff happen. And... I think that if if that's the case and that's where the Pro Bowl is heading, I think playing it after 
would yield the same uh, ratings that it would if they if it was played before. What do you think? I'm a huge fan of it being afterwards because you get to see a lot of superstars. You get to you get to really do your job as a marketing department and and in the public department at that point. Um, and then you get the ticket sales up because you want to see those guys play. I know a lot of guys um, that missed it the, the few times that the um, it was before the Super Bowl and they couldn't play in it. So I think I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it being adverse, and then it becomes another treat after the Super Bowl, and you get a little bonus of what these guys can play. If they hurt or, whether they be hurt or not, they show up and make appearances, and that's what the fans want to see. Uh, they, uh, they have made it somewhat of a real game now because of the threat of taking it away or the threat of moving it from Hawaii. Uh, it being in Arizona is a great place. I think it should stay in the States. Um, to a lot of great places, move it around like you do the uh, Super Bowl in great places and have fun. Let the cities build and let, let's create more jobs and opportunities for others. Let the city get their, their marketing and, and, and economy up uh, with those things. And the guys will go everywhere because any, there's a lot of great places here in the United States where you can go and have a great vacation. You get tired of going to Hawaii. Uh, even just for the, even <laughs> Said just for nobody ever. <laughs> I said everybody. I get tired of going to Hawaii. And when I go to Hawaii, it's two days and I'm ready to come back. I mean, it's great stuff to see. I've been seeing everything over there, uh, but I only go over there to do a handful of things. You know, obviously get away from the sun in Phoenix, the heat, the heat. But I, I like to go golf and I, just, I like to play all different golf courses. So I haven't done that yet. So I'm still going to continue to go to Hawaii until I do that. And that's going to be uh, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be a, a proponent of... Uh Having the Pro Bowl every year where the Super Bowl is, but obviously the Super Bowl is only played in like five places as of now. Uh, when not it go- in the cold. Not in no cold places. <laughs> well, in Minnesota, if they get the Super Bowl next year, or in, uh, in 2018, I believe, I truly believe that that's where it's going to go. I think that it, I think- Roger Goodell wants a cold weather place, and he, he got screwed the first time. He got screwed with the weather. He wants snow. He wants ice bowl part two, and I think he's going to, He's going to give it to himself, so he's going to get in 2018. Well, I think this. I think wherever you, wherever you play the Pro Bowl, the Super Bowl will be there next year, and it just follow each other. I don't think it should be in the same place because you're giving different, especially if it stays here in the state, well, on, on, the, um, on the continent, well, not the continent, but if it stays over here on the, um, the, big, the big island, what you call the United States, if it stays over here, I think wherever you put the Pro Bowl, or whatever you put the Super Bowl, one has to follow the other, and it'd be good. Definitely not in a cold weather place. I don't, who cares about Rush Cadell? Rush Cadell never played. I don't care about him wanting it somewhere. It's more so where you can enjoy the game. People in cold places want to get away from that cold place and go visit those warm spots and have a Super Bowl and have a vacation and get away for a, a week or two. But I think it should follow each other. I think one should follow the other Super Bowl, follow the Pro Bowl, or the Pro Bowl, follow the Super Bowl. Let's say it's in Phoenix this year. Then wherever the, um, wherever the um, Super Bowl or the Pro Bowl should be played in San Fran, because I think the Super Bowl is in San Fran next year, and follows each other like that. Yeah, no, and, and, and I agree with that, especially because of the time difference. Because isn't, isn't uh, Hawaii three hours behind the Pacific time zone right now? So yeah. that so if it's on the continental U.S., at least the timing would be better. You know, New York doesn't have to wait until 7 a.m. to watch the Pro Bowl. You know, I mean, it's it's like it, it's a lot more conducive. I understand that, but also trying to globalize the game, you get a lot of people from Hawaii that will go to that game. And you say that it's been played at the same place. You stay at the same hotel every year, so it's kind of a tradition 
that that is kind of lacking in the in the NFL. What traditions do the NFL have with things like that? And no. and 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 so if you had the Pro Bowl there every year, it would allow younger guys that haven't been there before to go and experience Hawaii, experience everything. You can control a lot more the NFL can if it's in the same place every year. So I understand why that's ha- why that's happened in the past. However, I, I agree with you that I think that they should move it around and and uh, and allow and allow the and allow a city in the United States to get it. I, I mean, I truly do believe that. Like, imagine the, the Pro Bowl in in New Orleans, you know, like stuff like that in, in in the Jerry Dome. I couldn't imagine what it would be like there. You know, there'd probably be a circus running around outside while the game was going on. So, <laughs> it, it I, I agree with you in that regard. And again, as I stated previously, I do believe that it should be played after the Super Bowl. I do, and yeah, and. Yeah. And it's it, it maybe who knows maybe it would revert back to being a flag football game if that happened because everybody's so done with with football at that point they don't want to play an exhibition game afterwards and I, I truly understand that but the build up to the Super Bowl I believe is marred by having a game in between because people will look forward to watching the Pro Bowl because it's an actual game it just being played on a football field and then you get the Super Bowl if you have zero football for two weeks. Right. I think that that would help the ratings even more, and it wouldn't necessarily matter as much how what the ratings were for the Pro Bowl. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why they did it, or that they um, they wanted to keep it a real game. They wanted to have it a uh, fast action. We watched we watched two teammates hit each other as hard as they could after it was a real game in the last Pro Bowl. So I thought that, I thought the the uh, how they selected their teams were great. I thought that was fun. That changed it up, but to make it a real game because the guy played all year, he plays his. 19 to 20 games, and he reached the Super Bowl. He makes the Pro Bowl. He's not going hard in that game. That game now turns to a vacation for him, and that's what it came to as far as the flag football status that we talked about that these guys were playing with. So now, to put it beforehand, guys who don't go, and you still get a lot of Pro Bowl guys who don't make the Pro Bowl, which is um, another conversation in itself. But then you get some, you get some real football in a sense that these guys are hitting each other. They run in and they playing in full speed. They're actually hitting each other. Do you think that there'd ever be a time where college football all stars could play pro all stars? Mm, there was a time before this. They, that happened before. I don't think it would get to that point again unless it's a real flag football game. But you don't want to hurt the NFL. wouldn't hurt their product. They wouldn't bring a college guy in, all star guy that these folks probably can hurt because some of these guys don't really know uh, what's going to happen at the next level. Some of these guys in some region level they can play against some of the pros, but you don't want to mess up your product. It's kind of like. You want kids to stay in college for basketball, so your NBA is great, but you don't want to mess up the product by banging these guys up ahead of time before they get to the pros. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I was just thinking, like, the Senior Bowl, the All-Stars from the Senior Bowl that, that have all declared that are all, but there'd have to be stipulations in a contract saying that if I get injured in this, that, yeah, so it's obviously, obviously would muddy the waters. I was just curious. So uh, we got to go. Um, uh, we'll keep an eye out for the Masters. I'll talk more about that tomorrow. I think Kwame will be calling in again. Uh, 888-346-9144. Check us out tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern. See you guys tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in this week. Join us every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. <laughs>